Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We've been doing a series we call the Train Series, because everybody should be getting on board with Christ. Everybody should be doing what Christ did. Unfortunately, I don't even find churches telling people what Christ did. They say He died for your sins. But he makes it very clear that you're not forgiven unless you forgive others. So unless you're forgiving, he must not have died for your sins because you're not forgiven. You see, we assume that Christ died for our sins because we assume that we're saved because we assume that we believe in Jesus Christ. But you don't believe in Jesus Christ unless you have the faith of Christ. Not only in Christ, but of Christ. And faith is not what you think. Faith is not what you think. And you may think about faith, but faith is not what you think. Faith is what you do. Faith is the substance of what you think. And what you do is the substance of what you think. What you really think, not what you tell yourself you think, but what you really believe, what you really are convicted of in your heart. If you're not doing justice, if you're not doing righteousness, if you're doing unrighteousness, then you don't believe in Jesus. Because if you really believed in righteousness, you would do righteousness. Because you like righteousness. You love the ways of Jesus. They're just written in your hearts. You see, a lot of people who don't even know the word Jesus or Yeshua or Yahweh or any of those vocalized terminologies know Jesus because they know His ways, because they live His ways. How do we know those kinds of people? Because they come to serve and serve in ways that strengthen the poor. Those who don't come in ways that's to serve, to strengthen the poor, but come in ways to serve themselves, don't know Jesus. No matter what they tell you, they do not know Jesus. They do not come in His name. Because if you're coming in His name, you will be living righteously. If you are living unrighteously, then you do not know Him. Now, I don't know how many different ways I can say it, But that's really important. I'm not tickling your ears. I'm not in here to say, oh, well, you're all saved because you thought a thought. You're not all saved because you thought a thought. You're not all saved because you've done great works. But if you're really in love with Christ, you'd be doing what Christ did. You just would want to be doing it. You couldn't help yourself. It would be as easy as falling off a log. Because it's it's where you go when you go to do something. You go to do it in the way of Christ. And a lot of people try to reduce Christianity down to an intellectual idea or 
a series of eschological catechisms. And that's not what it's about. It's about where's your heart. You know, if you're, if you're cheating on your family, if you're cheating on your boss, if you're cheating on your government, you're gonna cheat on Christ because it's in you to cheat. That's the name you come in. You come in the name of the cheat. You come in the name of your father, the cheater of all cheaters. I'm being mean here. I'm not letting you out. I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm not saying that you're free when you're not free. I'm saying you're in bondage when you're in bondage. And you're not going to be free unless you repent and turn around and go the other way. And you have to really go the other way, not just think a different thought. I'm not just preaching in eschatology. I'm telling you how it is. Can you handle the truth? You know, I never know what I'm going to actually say. I have a whole prepared uh, uh, things that I can go back and lean on in order to do a show. But once the show starts, I just uh, have to say what's put on my heart. And the fact is, most of the people who say they're seeking the kingdom, they're not. Now, that doesn't mean you can't turn around and start seeking the kingdom instead of your own self-righteousness. That doesn't mean you couldn't, couldn't change. There's always, you know, changes like jello. There's always room for change. <laughs> so, you can change. You cannot change yourself, but you can be changed. You have to realize that you cannot save yourself by your cleverness, by your thinking, by your imagination. You cannot save yourself. And saving yourself, what does that mean? It means you're going to have a good place to go to after you die? No, it's, it's right now, coming to peace with righteousness right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's not for the dead. It's for the living. And evidently, I have walking pneumonia. I probably had it for the last week or so. I've only been able to get about five hours or six hours of manual labor in a day. But uh, so you're going to have to bear with my uh, voice <laughs> till till I get things uh, a little bit better. I am getting better, uh, but uh, this evidently was something that. My daughter had first, and has been going to a number of us, and I eventually uh, succumbed to it. I mean, I haven't stopped working, but it has really slowed me down. We're trying to create this, the Living Network, we call it. And you can get on it by going to thelivingnetwork.org. And, you know, I get calls from people who want to call me from afar, and, then I encourage them to get on the network, and uh, I can watch and I can see if they get on the network or not, and they don't. And then sometimes people get on the network, and they get on an email group, and they think they're on the living network. You know, the, the email group is the way in which to get on to the living network. The living network is exactly what it says. It's a, it's a network of people that are alive. Not dead, but alive. Actually seeking the kingdom. And what happens is a lot of people think they're seeking the kingdom because they're studying eschatologies and, and memorizing ideas and, and seeing all the little word games that have 
been played on the people so that they can be dragged into the system of bondage which is predominant throughout the world today and they think that that's the way to the kingdom no the way to the kingdom is really simple you have to gather together to serve one another and we had congregations that would gather together and they would say okay is there anybody who needs help and everybody was so independent and self-reliant that nobody needed help so Nobody gave. Nobody tithed their offering to the minister so that he could go out and help others. Now, people try to tell me all the time, tithing is gone. Is giving gone? Is charity gone? Now, the tithing you see in most churches, where you give and you give and you give to the churches, and they build these multi-million dollar buildings with huge sound sets and all this stuff for your entertainment, so that they can make you feel really good when you come to church and watch things on the big screen TV. That isn't what I'm talking about. That isn't the church. I didn't have anything to do with the church. It has to do with you feeling good and, and looking proud of your church. What is the church supposed to be doing? When you got the baptism of Christ, you were kicked out of the social welfare system of Rome, cast out of the social welfare system of Judea, of, of Corinth, of Ephesus. You are no longer a part of those systems. No more social security. No more unemployment. No more welfare. None. Except through the church. And that's what you should be doing. Is providing for that church. For the needs of that church. And your ministers should be working together as teams. Every congregation of ten families has a minister. Every one of those ministers is spending most of his time working with his fellow ministers to provide health, education, and welfare for his people. For all the congregation. Not just his little local congregation, but for every congregation. This is how I can tell whether you're a kingdom-oriented person or a congregationalist. If you're a congregationalist, you'll say, you'll, all you'll talk about is your congregation, You'll talk about how much time they take up and your focus will be entirely on your congregation because you don't love the next congregation as much as you love your own. Which usually means that you're using your congregation as a source of boosting your own vanity. You like to have them sit there for an hour or maybe even two hours listening to you. That's what you want. You need that. In order to feel okay. Because you're not okay. Because you're under a strong delusion of modern religion. And we're going to talk about that modern religion in this series. Because uh, this series is going to blend over in and finish up our series on what religion really is. And I might as well mention, the definition of religion has changed over the centuries. Back and forth, forth and back. It goes from one direction to one end of the spectrum to the other. Religion is the performance of your duty to your God and your fellow men. 
That is what religion was. That's what Christ describes it as. That's what James describes it as. It's a fulfillment of your duty in faith and hope and charity to God and your fellow men. Now, God doesn't need you to do anything for Him. I mean, like He's, like He's shorthanded, so He's gonna, you're not gonna be able to, He's not gonna be able to get it done because He doesn't have your help. He wants you to learn to help Him. He wants you to learn to serve Him, but so that you will learn to serve. He doesn't need your service. He can get it done without you. He want, But you can't learn to serve unless you practice serving others. And why do you do that? Because that's Christ. Christ came to serve, not to be served. So if you have Christ in you, let's see the service. Let's see the service not just to a group that can scratch your back, but let's see you serve groups that have nothing to do with you. Let's see you casting your bread, your time, your energy upon the waters out there to others that are far away from you. In other words, not congregationalism, kingdom. You see? So, show me Christ is in you by your service. This is what James says. You know, my faith? Show me your faith without works. And I'll show you a faith that's dead. He says, show me your faith with works. Because remember, faith is the substance of things not seen. In other words, if I don't see service, I don't see faith. Because faith, what he's saying, faith is not just thinking. We're going to cover this in this other series. But you're going to need to understand this in greater depth in this series of that word you use about religion and what religion really is. We show that religion used to mean this performance of your duty to God and fellow man. But now you look it up and it's what you think about the Creator. That's it. That's what they say religion is. What you think about the Creator. You know the most religious people I know are atheists. That's right. They are the most religious people I know because they have made atheism their religion. They are absolutely cultish in the practice of their religion. Some of them. They are so much against modern religion. And of course, they're really not against God. Some of them aren't even atheists. Some of them are satanic. Some of your atheists are actually satanic. Their God is Satan. And they are vehement. You know, those are the ones that will, you know, go to uh, government meetings and uh, throw feces around and... Uh, jars of urine and everything and, and blood because of the fact that they want to limit uh, third trimester abortions or something. And these people go around and they're just militantly violent to get their way. You know, that they uh, want kids kicked out of school because they wear a cross around their neck. It's absurd. It's absolutely insane. And the amazing thing is, is they they get their way. They get their way when they do that. How come they get their way? That's because 
the people who think they're Christians who are running these schools, I mean, they have a church somewhere, you know, and they go to that church, and they probably got a big screen TV in their church. But they're cowards. They don't know Christ. They don't even know common sense. They're, they're insane. They're dead. Let the dead bury the dead. Let them all argue that out. Why is your kid even in public school? You see, if you were gathering together in congregations, you'd all be home teaching. You wouldn't. Why would you be home teaching instead of sending your kids to public school? Because you're not coveting your neighbor's goods. You see, you can't send your kids to public school without desiring to force your neighbor to pay for your child's education. It is a covetous arrangement. And people say, well, I pay in my taxes. But you know you don't pay in enough to pay for the education of your child. I mean, how much taxes do you pay in? Even if you had one child, you'd have to be paying in at least $6,000 to education alone. That's probably minimum. Some of you would have to be paying fifteen or $20,000 a year into public education. Because that's the kind of money that they squander. You know, if you had two or three kids, you could hire a private tutor. You could actually build them a home. <laughs> them live in that home for the amount of money that they spend on the kids in schools. And the fact is, is then you go and look at the school books. How many of you have read all the history books that they use in the last ten years in your public school, local public school? And how many of you have taken the time to compare that with the history books that were written a hundred years ago about the same events? Or taken it and compared to the people who actually lived history and wrote about it, wrote about what they did, and then look at how they were presented in the school books? It's astounding. History has changed. I haven't seen a good history book in a high school in 20 years. I mean, not even, I've seen nothing but lies and deceptions and misrepresentation and dumbing down. I mean, they don't even have a history class anymore. I think it went from histories to social studies, and now they call it something else. So remote from what it should be that you don't even, you don't even recognize it. Your kids are being graduated idiots. They know a lot of stuff, but they don't know the truth. And this is by design. And it's by design of a particular spirit that gets into people. Which is why when these people come, these militants who want your daughter not to wear a cross around her neck when she goes to school because she might offend somebody who doesn't believe in the cross. You know, I mean, what happens is, okay, then you have... Uh, Muslims come into school who actually get time to uh, pray to Mecca and all this other stuff, but Christians can't wear a cross around the neck. They actually will bring the Koran into some schools to study, but if you read the Bible on the school bus, you're expelled. And, and you get these tremendous swings of atrocities, and everybody focuses on that. And says, oh, look at this. They let this go, but then they don't let us do this. And, oh, this is so unfair and all that stuff. whole thing is a sham. Get out of there. 
It's all a distraction. It's all part of the dialectic. Go read our article on the dialectic at uh, newsofthews.com. Look up Brother Gregory Williams and you'll see our articles there. The dialectic is to get you fighting about all these things within the box that they got you in. And this is what elections are all about. Should we choose the devil or the deep blue sea? You know, uh, this devil or that devil. You never can actually make a real choice that would make a difference. Even if you were offered that real choice that might make some kind of a, a major difference, it is is just attacked by the media. Why? Different spirit. This is really what's going on, is there's a spiritual realm out there. There's actually two spiritual realms, one we call heaven, the other we call hell. There are different ends of a spectrum, a quantum string theory spectrum, in which you're either drawn towards hell, in the ways of hell, in the spirit of hell, or drawn towards heaven, and the spirit of heaven. And Christ represented that spirit of heaven. He showed us what it looked like. In the spirit of heaven, you want to serve your neighbor as yourself. You care about your neighbor as yourself. That you respect your neighbor's right to have a different thought, and you hope and pray that he sees the light and discovers the truth. Now, in the other realm, if somebody has a different idea, you throw feces in and urine on them and call them names and scream at them and try to intimidate them. You see, in one realm, they don't care whether you wear a cross or Star David or what have you. You can do all that stuff. They are interested in righteousness, not symbols. But in the realm of hell, you can't do anything they don't like. They want to control every aspect of your life. They want to force you to take care of their needs. They want to twist your arm or threaten you with violence if you don't pay for their free education. If you don't pay for their welfare. They're going to force, they're going to throw you in jail. They're going to intimidate you. They're going to terrorize you. There is no greater terrorist today than modern government. Mountain democratic governments are the greatest there. I, I saw an interesting film. It's the old Desert Rat, I think, or Desert Fox. No, Desert Fox. And it's uh, James Mason, I think it is, who was star in that, playing Rommel in this old black and white movie. And uh, he uh, eventually Rommel decides that he has to stop the corporal. Uh, the, the, the corporal. Um, they have to do something about it. Other people are bugging him according to the way the movie's written anyway. And so he was going to support them, but then he was injured and he wasn't. And then there was like thousands of people who were killed after the attempted uh, killing of uh, Hitler with a bomb in the briefcase down in the bunker kind of thing. And uh, eventually he was accused of of being a part of that system and uh, was forced to take cyanide and kill himself. 
so that there wouldn't be a trial that would be an embarrassment to Hitler. But there was an interesting quote, and I'll tell you what that quote was. It came from Churchill at the very end of that movie. And I'll tell you all about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. And then we'll talk more about what you can do to get closer to the kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And I told you I'd tell you this quote from uh, Winston Churchill concerning Rommel. And he was praising Rommel's military skills as a general in Alamein and North Africa. And uh, my own father was in the Allied forces fighting in North Africa and on up into Sicily and Italy. But... uh, He also praised the fact that he eventually had the courage to stand up against the tyranny of a leader who was out of control, who was breaking the law himself, and uh, was willing to risk his life at the cost of his life to put an end to that. Not that I approve of his uh, the way in which he did things, but that within that realm he took a stand because he saw unrighteousness. and But the interesting thing was that the final part of the statement by Winston Churchill was that in our age of modern democracy, there is no room for chivalry. What's he talking about? Well, it sounds like he's saying there's something wrong with modern democracy. Well, of course, Winston Churchill was absolutely, adamantly opposed to democracy. He even said, and I quote him in our own book, A Higher Liberty, that uh, democracy, uh, the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. And just ask Jay Leno how that works out, and you'll get a pretty good picture of why you do not want to put the fate of your life and your children uh, and humanity in the hands of a democracy. It, it doesn't belong there. So where does it go? Someone who once was rather close to me and one of their children was talking about democracy and I says, well, you don't want a democratic government, a democracy. And immediately somebody jumped on, uh, on me, the, their mother jumped on me and says, well, what kind of a government do you want? And I I said, well, a republic. And then suddenly they were completely, you know, the wind went out of their sails because they they thought I was going to say something weird like communism. Well, if you like democracy, you better like communism because you're going to get it because the only one I ever saw that was really adamantly in favor of democracy in the last hundred years before, before our modern you know, before the last 50 years, prior to the last 100 years, uh, was Karl Marx. And he loved democracy because democracy leads to socialism and socialism to communism. That's where you go. Once you think that the majority has the right to determine what your rights are and are not, to decide good and evil for you, it's a done deal. You're, you're on a slippery slope 
to totalitarianism. That's where you head. That's why there's such a movement. Everybody's, they're all talking about this democracy in this country and democracy in that country and, you know, in Egypt or these different places. As soon as they get it, next thing you know, they have a tyrant. It doesn't work. It never did. And like I pointed out in the book, Higher Liberty and other books, that if you go back to the 1920s, you'll find the government publishing books against democracy. Teaching young people that democracy was bad. That's not what you're getting in the school. Somebody changed that while you guys were watching the Flintstones or whatever it is you were watching on TV or, you know, Monday Night Football or whatever. They changed your history books. They changed your school books. They changed your military manuals to say suddenly when they used to say that democracy was bad now democracy is good you hear it in the media all the time democracy we want a democratic form of government but it used to be that was a bad idea that democracy was known to be nothing more than mob rule where 51% of the people take away the rights of the other 49 and in the indirect democracy you elect rulers who rule over you and they take away your rights and they're often bought off with corruption this is the way it is in history I don't I don't have to talk about any particular government I'm not talking about the United States let's talk about any country that goes that way this is history it's all we're talking about but there is a solution and Christ gave it to you but your church ministers are not telling you what Christ gave you they're not telling you what Christ was doing you know, I'm not telling you what the early Christians were doing. Were they joining a democracy? Were they out there trying to elect a different emperor? You know how many times there was a new emperor elected by the people? Did you know they had elections? Did you know there was a term of office? Did you know that there was an oath of office? Did you know that the office that the emperor often held, the, the different offices that he held in power, are identical to those of the United States federal government and many other prime ministers throughout the, the world. They played the same role. What was the difference between their government and the government of Christ? Because he preached a government, a kingdom, where the king did not exercise authority one over the other, where the ministers of the king did not exercise authority of one man over another but operate according to the faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. That's a different form of government than democracy. It's democratic in the sense that every individual has a right to choose. He does not choose for every other individual. Democracy is a common purse of rights. But a republic, the rights belong to the people and the leaders are titular. You can't... In a pure republic, you do not elect a ruler who makes law for you. You elect a leader who leads in a direction that you want to go, or you simply don't have to follow him because he's titular. Look up the definition. Not just in modern dictionaries, but look it up back when the Constitution was written. Go read our article on Republic versus Democracy. Or Democracy versus Demagogue. Go read those. Find out what words used to mean. 
because the early church was called a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire. It wasn't called a viable democracy because the church members didn't get together in a vote and elect somebody to rule over them. When you go to church, you should all sit in the pulpit and your minister should sit in the pew. I'm giving you that visualization because your minister needs to hear what you need because he is to minister that need to you. Now, he is still answerable to his conscience and what you give him to do that with is freely given and given totally away. And none of this that you see in Protestant churches where the individuals give to the church and then run around and jump on the church board. That's exactly what the governments of the world want you to do because then they have control over your church. Because they already have control over you. No, what you give to the church must be freely given. You have the option of not giving to that minister next week. And with that power, you can help regulate honorable men so that they do a good job. And you can get rid of unhonorable men or dishonorable men because they're not doing the job at all. And what is the job? To take care of the needy of your society. That's pure religion. To take care of the needy, the widows, the orphans, the sick, the indigent. To take care of them. That's what you should be doing in your churches. That's the song you should be singing. But you're not singing that song there. Instead, you go to men who call themselves benefactors six days a week and say, go out and take away from my neighbor so that I can have free education and health care and welfare and all that. But on Sunday or Sabbath, you go in and some preacher talks to you about the fact that you're saved because you believe in Jesus. But that's not what the church was doing. Not the church appointed by Christ. It was taking care of all those needs that you go to the benefactors to exercise authority. And the amazing thing is Christ said to the Christians, you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles, the other nations. He didn't say you're to be, you're not to be like governments. He said like the other governments. Why? Because he was appointing a government, one form of government, that operated by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. But your churches are impotent. They no longer take care of the needy of their society. They send them to those benefactors who make you bondservants of them instead of bondservants of Christ. We are all bondservants of Christ, bound in our hearts and our minds to do His will, which means we must be a charitable institution of righteous charity that strengthens the poor. Now, when you gather in your congregations and you say, you ask amongst you, does anybody have need? And everybody says, no, we are We're doing okay. Does that mean you have to give nothing? No. You must sacrifice anyway. Because it is in the nature of Christ to sacrifice. You say, 
minister, pastor, we give you our offering. Go out and find the needy. For they are not here gathered amongst us. Well, first he should go to his fellow ministers and say, Are there needy amongst you? Because they all had meetings. And chances are, yes, we had some needy, but we took care of it. So we have no need. We have no want. But we have a surplus. What shall we do with it? Let's go out and start a charity in the world and show them the way of Christ. Show them how to take care of the needy without a gun, without a sword, but by faith, hope, and charity alone. The congregations of congregations need to form charitable institutions for Christ came to teach us how to live by charity. And we must teach others. That is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It is not going on and on and on about technicalities and words. It's actually doing the job of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That's our job. That's what we need to do. So I wrote another article, put it up on one of our other websites, preparingyou.com. That's preparing. Y-O-U dot com. We used to use preparing just the letter U, but we've made a new site uh, with a much more powerful wiki, and we have people building on that site on a regular basis. And the article I put up is at preparingyou.com slash wiki slash homeless. And it, it talks about Israel found themselves homeless when they were kicked out of Egypt. and managed to care for the needs of their society through faith, hope, and charity. Early Christian Jews were cast out of Rome by Claudius. Because when he cast out the Jews, many of those Jews were Christians. And said, you guys get out of Rome. And I assume that they were physically removed from Rome. There's about 14,000 we know of that they talk about in another location that were sent out. But uh, basically, they couldn't do business in Rome anymore. And that's right about the time that Paul took up making tents. Because people had to go elsewhere and make a living. But that was okay because Christians had a network. They weren't congregationalists. There were congregations of congregations, conventions of churches. And so they knew each other well all over the empire, so they all had a place to go. Because they were doing what Christ said, and they were doing it according to the ways that has always been cast up from the days of Abraham and the days of Moses. They were organizing in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And in the book, That Kingdom Come, I show you how these tens, hundreds, and thousands are all over Europe. In Asia. Most of those people were probably Christians who left during the fall of the Jewish temple. You know, they had, the Jews had, who had said they had no king but Jesus, now said they, I mean, they had no king but Caesar, 
now said they didn't even want Caesar as king and they were continuing their rebellion. Just as they rebelled against Christ, they also rebelled against Caesar. And Caesar Titus' troops were surrounding Jerusalem. And there was a huge amount of people who fled the city. And they were given free passage by Titus's soldiers, by Titus's orders. We know this from historical documents of the time. Who were those people who were leaving? These were the Christians. And they had to leave everything behind, even their coats. Their gold, their silver, their homes, their land, their provisions, everything. Because the Jews wouldn't let them take that out. They said, you can go, but everything else stays. And they knew to leave that behind and go out. Absolutely destituted. But they went out. And their lives were spared because they were not destroyed when Titus destroyed the temple. And there's reports of them coming out singing. Happy. That sounds like Christians to me. They lost everything and they're still okay with it. Because they had a network all across the country. All across Judea. All across Europe. Where they could go. Because they had not just cared about their congregation. And they had not just cared about themselves. They had cared about each other. And they had learned to care about each other. Way back in Acts, when... People in a distant land were having difficulties and they contributed to their welfare. People they didn't even know. And now, a few years later, they may have to go to those very people's homes. How did they know who they were? Through the network of ministers. This is what you need to do because this is what Christ said to do. Because there will come a time I saw a photograph today of a volcano erupting down in Guatemala. Somebody sent it to me on our Facebook page. Fascinating. When the earth starts belching out these tremendous, powerful explosions that reach way up into the upper atmosphere. Going to change weather. Going to do all kinds of things. But there's... There's things changing in your governments. There's things changing in your economy. There are potential Fukushimas all over the world. And you need to be ready for change. And who are you going to call on? The lovers of Christ or the lovers of power? Two spirits. Remember what we talked about at the beginning. Two spirits. The spirit that wants to force control, manipulate, deceive, and another spirit who is transparent, who is honest and honorable and faithful in the ways of Christ. So on this homeless page, we talk about all the homeless that we've had to face uh, through the years. And we talk about people who are helpless. I have a picture up there of a woman with a cast on her arm and her son is hanging on her shoulder and People end up homeless. They live in their cars, all kinds of, for lots of reasons. Now, we want to make sure we strengthen them so that they don't end up that way again if there is character flaws or if there's attitude flaws or if there's 
skills missing. We want to bring those to them because we want to strengthen the poor, not like Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. But that weakening the poor is also going to bring, you know, homosexuality and and all these other bizarre, uh, uh, perverted, uh, selfish practices that we see coming in the world today are symptoms of a selfish society. You know, I have a picture on the website. It's a famous picture during the depression of a woman that's caring for her kids that was displaced. The farm probably went bankrupt. She was out picking cotton. Hard-working woman. You know, a woman you know with piercing eyes uh, who cared for her children, worked all day. That care and love for her children is passed on to her children. But you don't have that in our society because our children are removed from the homes when they're in kindergarten or preschool. And someone else cares for your children. You only get to see them for a short period of time during the day. They don't even know what you do. They don't see that. You think that does not have a toll on your family? On what your children will become? And sometimes the children will overcome that. But you you get paid back by your investment. And by forcing your neighbors to educate your children, you lose the advantage of that investment, of that difficult thing it is to homeschool your children. Now, if you need help doing that, that's what congregations are for. If you want help, go to your congregation. Go to your churches. If your churches don't approve of homeschooling, you're in the wrong church. If your church doesn't promote homeschooling, you're in the wrong church. Get out of there. I mean, you can go back, tell them how wrong they were. (laughs) Stay away from that stuff. Start gathering together. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org. Start forming and give me reports of how the homeschooling is going. Give it, give it to the community of people who join that network. We, we, uh, we need to be helpful to others because Christ came to be helpful. He came to serve. The, the early church rightly divided the bread from house to house. The Christians did not go to Caesar for his free bread because they knew his free bread came from a man who called himself a benefactor but exercised authority. So they didn't apply for any of the welfare projects of Rome. Christians today, that's where they get all their welfare and they think they're Christians. That was absolutely opposed to what Christ was teaching. Yet, Christians today think they can go do that. But you Christians who are not on welfare, who are complaining about the people on welfare, have you set up a welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity? No. You haven't done that. You need to turn around. You need to repent of that. You need to start doing that. You need to start forming your congregations. Now, now again, we want to give charity that strengthens the poor. We don't want to make the whole world another Detroit. We we don't want to encourage that. And we talk about this in, in our writings. I, I said I would mention it that in this world of zombies with dead people who think that it's absolutely okay to take away from your neighbor 
to devour your neighbor, to devour your neighbor's children, to devour your neighbor's future in debt so that you can have benefit, which is the way the whole world is going. They are like zombies. They devour one another. They take bites out of one another through the, the exercising authority of government. They call it socialism. That is antichrist. And because of the money system and a lot of other things, the, the individuals are becoming more and more homeless, more and more destitute. And you're going to see more and more homeless showing up on the scenes. And cities are already seeing this. So they're passing laws that say that if you're homeless, you can't sleep in your car. You can't fall asleep in the park. You fall asleep in your car waiting for your wife somewhere, $500 fine. And they're doing that to the homeless to drive the homeless out of their community. Because they're a burden. They don't want to, they want to have nothing but successful people. That is Satan. It's legal. But it's Satan. And there are people who are outraged by it, are trying to stand up for it. And we should be standing there next to them, whispering in their ears the ways of the kingdom, encouraging them in their care for one another, bringing the message of Christ in slices that they can consume and make a part of their own life. We should be there. So there's a lady in Monterey needs help. Get a hold of us on the network. I can get you in touch with her if you can be there. Uh, police harassment uh, and court harassment. And you can be there to be there for her. And meet all the other people that are trying to help the homeless. And you need to do that before you're homeless. So that you have a network that will care about you as much as you have cared about others. And Christ will be with you too. Unless we meet again sooner, may peace be upon your house. See you on the next show. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And I'm going to struggle through this with my voice until we get to the end of the show. Um, we're talking about the kingdom of God in relationship to the homeless and the helpless and the helpful. And the uh, people who care about others as much as they care about themselves. Because that is a characteristic of Christ. And so, anyway, we created this page at preparingyou.com, which is in our wiki section of that. It's, so it's preparingyou.com slash wiki slash homeless. And uh, the thing about the wiki site is that anybody can add to the article that's already started there. And at the bottom of the article, uh, I mentioned an in-sample group of where a homeless lady who ended up homeless because number of deaths in her family and things just kind of snowballed before you knew it she was living in her car and uh, trying to avoid taking government benefits but she was on hard times and hopefully she'll get her act together but uh, it's against the law to be homeless in Monterey if you sleep in your car you get a $500 ticket now that's amazing somebody who sleeps in their car gets a $500 ticket why would you think they have $500? If they can't even afford rent, how are they going to afford that $500? Well, they, they can't. But they, they don't want the money. They want to drive you out of the community. They want you to become invisible. And so they pass these laws to make it a crime to fall asleep in your car. You used to be able to go to the park, you know, and lay down in the sun and just enjoy the the grass and the trees and fall asleep in the shade not anymore it's a criminal act at least it will incur hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of fines if you fall asleep in the park of course it's designed to get rid of the homeless so you have to look like you have money when you fall asleep in the park and you still may get fined it's insane but this is in zombie land that's what you get. Injustice at every turn. And there are some people that are complaining about that, and the other people who think it's great. And some of them are headed towards perdition, and some of them are not far from the kingdom. And they're willing to do something about it. They fight that injustice. And that's just one place. The fact is that we can go to on the Preparing You site. We're coming up with more and more of these different places where there is a social injustice. Or It's interesting that most of the social injustice is due to people who have been using the term social justice. Social justice is a catch term for progressivism or socialism. You know, they're talking about social justice where they're going to make sure that you get the food you want by taking away from somebody else. They're going to compel the offering. And this is why, if you go back to the first century, second century church, you see Justin writing Antonius Pius, who was emperor of Rome before Marcus Aurelius. He was writing Antonius Pius and explaining this is how the church works. And why does he have to explain this? Is, is Antonio's peace going to become a Christian? No, he's explaining because there was this conflict between 
the system of Rome and Christians. And the reason why there was this conflict is because Rome had gone from being a republic to a democracy and from a democracy, indirect democracy, to a totalitarian dictatorship, a socialist totalitarian dictatorship. And if you didn't contribute, if you didn't sign up at one of their temples to be a member of their social welfare system, controlled by them, then they wanted to persecute you because their social welfare systems were becoming bankrupt, because they were depending not upon faith, hope, and charity as Rome once did, but now upon forced offerings. And the number of people on welfare had grown and grown and grown until parts of Rome were becoming to look like Detroit. That's right. That's what was happening then, too. And that's why they burned it down. And so they could start anew. But they didn't do anything about the problem that was creating the Detroits of Rome. And unless you do something about that, you're not going to solve it. And what is the problem that's creating that? Welfare at the point of a gun. The church was not welfare at the point of the gun. The church was welfare by charity, which is what made America great. That's what was going on the first hundred years in America. They were taking care of the needs of their society through faith, hope, and charity. When we got away from that, and they tried to, you know, we have stories showing Davy Crockett debating this in, in Congress. But they didn't really get going until Woodrow also made some inroads in that direction. But FDR was a big factor of creating the welfare state. LBJ and his great society just, just expounded upon that. And we're continuing in that direction. And it's going to destroy America, just like it destroyed Rome. But America is now linked to all these other nations that have gone much that same way. And they will all be destroyed as well, economically. And there also leads to political corruption. Because of the fact that people say that politics is over here and religion is over here, but we've lost track of what religion is. In our series on religion, we're going to show you what religion is. You see, you're not fulfilling your duty to your fellow man through religion. You're fulfilling your duty to your fellow man through politics. And that's not what it was meant to be. That's not the way government was divided at one time. Charity was in the hands of the charitable institutions of society. And politics, what we call politics, civil government, whatever you want to call it, have very limited influence over your life. It didn't exercise authority. It didn't tell you that you had to contribute to this welfare or that welfare. You were already doing that through faith, hope, and charity. Unless your society is designed in that fashion, you will not be free. So, we have these homeless people and go into any city in the country. What can we do about the homeless people that will help those seeking the kingdom become stronger, more independent, less homeless? If we bring this message of the kingdom, see, you could take this to Skid Row and it would work for those who were willing to work at it. But many of the people who are actually on our network aren't working at it. Well, they do a little bit here and there, but that's all tokenism to make them feel good. 
You have to do it in an organized fashion. That's what Christ did. The organization must be one of service. In other words, you elect officers of service, not of power. And you support them when they really work at their office. You choose to do that. If you don't choose to do that, you will not be free. Because that is the road to freedom. Taking back your responsibilities, your personal responsibilities, but your responsibility also to gather together in the name of Christ, which is service. So when we look out at people who are actually helping the homeless today and the hungry and the needy of today through volunteerism, there is an actual pool of doers out there that do not understand the contractual nature of government, but they do understand charity. And there are those of you who understand the contractual nature of government, but do not understand charity, and you are no closer to the kingdom than they are. As a matter of fact, you may be farther away. So we put up this site, like I said, on the wiki sites. You can construct it. You can become an editor on that site. You can expand upon that. Put another link. Show us other groups. But you have to get on the ground. We have people we can put on the ground to go in some of these places. And we're looking for more who will connect with us and voluntarily work to help the needy of society. And when the real needs of society come, they can focus on those people who have been helping them. And the very charitable institutions you created for the stranger will now serve you. This is what Christ was doing. This is what Moses was doing. And they were going to need it. Because there were such hard times from every aspect of society. So that's what you need to start doing is you need to start becoming the social welfare system that the church used to be. You gather together not to study theology, but to do the word of Christ, the word of God, aiding one another. So at the very bottom of that page on the homeless, I have other people, very limited list. Huff Santa Cruz dot um, org. Shelterbox.org, which I actually had a Great Britain, but I just added that because of uh, one of our contacts in New Zealand is talking about putting on an educational Moodle in relationship to that. He has a lot of experience in dis, uh, handling disasters and charity work. And we need to take these people who both have that experience and knowledge and also have an understanding of kingdom and bring them together. And we go there and help serve and work with them so that we don't just have mindless charity that continues to weaken the poor. Because you can have voluntary charity that weakens the poor. But we have a charity that strengthens the poor and gets the people involved with helping one another. Not just simply getting in a line to receive free bread, but get them in the kitchen to cook the bread. Get them on the farms. Go do work on a wheat farm as an assistant. Learn about wheat farming. And take part of your pay in grain that is trucked to a bakery where somebody else is learning how to be a baker. We can actually do that now. We could do that now out here. We could, we could bring in workers out here 
the people that are separate from the system who have no other way of making a living, the young people, we can bring them into the order to work for the order for a time until they see if that's what they want to do and train them up in industry to support the work of the church. It's a meager lifestyle than going out and becoming a millionaire on your own. That's the problem of being in the ministry. I can't go beyond that, but you could learn skills here. And then if you wanted to go out back into the world, you could. But you must keep your eyes on the kingdom. The kingdom is a place where people live by faith, hope, and charity alone. And that will come about as Rome collapses, as Egypt collapses, as the Chaldeans collapse. But we have to learn those skills somewhere. And this is what this is what the Essenes were doing. This is what uh, Moses's ministers were doing. That Moses had many ministers working for the people. They weren't just, you know, when they were no longer able to get the benefits from Egypt, but still had to pay in. They had to have some way of taking care of themselves during the plagues, and that's what the church should be. Is that alternative? Now times are not real bad. I'm just about to lose my voice entirely. (laughs) Times are not real bad now. But they are going to get worse. You can see it in the economy. You can see it in the geology. You can see it in the uh, political landscape. Things are going to get worse. There will be times where things get a little better and then they'll get a lot worse. It's kind of like gas prices. They go up. They come down. They go up again. They come down. They never seem to come down as much as they go up. So you just keep going up and up and up. It's the same way with conditions. You used to be able to buy a house with a three-year mortgage. Five-year mortgages were quite a lot. Now mortgages are 30 years and plus. It's because you're not as rich as you used to be. Don't look at the numbers. Look at you know, the days you have to work to pay the bills, to buy the house, to have the family. Both of you have to work. You, the women think, oh, we've been liberated. You, you both husband and wife are working and somebody else is raising your kids, teaching them lies. That's not liberation. And your kids are learning, not learning what it means to be a family. And now you wonder why all these spoken families around, they didn't learn what it was to be a family. It wasn't on their radar because it wasn't anywhere around them. And we've gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's going to continue to get that way. But we also see a that backlash. Always there's this backlash, this remnant that says, no, let's go back another way. And that's what the church should be teaching you. In order to learn how to build an entire society that works on faith, hope, and charity, you have to start practicing charity in your local congregations. And so we talked about this idea of local congregations, and this is what it is. Ten families get together and pick a minister. And we show you how to do this and show you the legal ramifications of this. And show you that why Christ said to do it that way. Why the early church was doing it that way. Today it's so far out of our collective understanding that we don't even have a slightest idea. 
And so we're going to have to turn around and go the other way. And so I told you that religion is the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Not just what you think. That was a change that came about. I begin this second half of this article that's already appeared about the word you use, that word you use, which is religion. And you don't know what the meaning of it is. That's why all the churches look nothing like what the first century church looked like. And I start the article, if we are going to find a solution to our modern dilemmas, we are going to have to meet the challenge head on. We're going to need a humble heart. That means the first thing we need to do is define our terms. And to do that properly, we need to dig deep enough to get to the root of the problem. I'm not going to say this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, but it's going to hurt. It hurt me when I began to see, but I was so delighted with the fact that I began to see I knew there was something wrong, you know, that splinter in your brain kind of thing. And I finally admitted to God that I couldn't figure it out. And then all of a sudden he began to show me. I mean, physically books showed up on my doorstep in piles, standing at the front door. And I began to page through them and he began to show me pages and say, read this page. Three months later, I started writing the book Covenants of the Gods. This word religion did not mean in the past what religionists, non-religionists, and anti-religionists think it means today. Religion is not what you think. It's what you do. That's always the way. Even if you go back to Threskia in the Greek, it's what you do. And what you do is not about rituals and ceremonies. It's about the ritual of righteousness. All the problems of our modern society stem in part from the confusion about this word religion. We have all heard the advice that uh, if you get to go into a party or something that, uh, you know, we're to avoid the topics of don't talk about politics or religion. Because it ends in this discord. You keep your comments limited to the weather. Well, now with global warming... You can't even do that. Weather's not safe. You can't even open your mouth without getting into some kind of controversy. So I just automatically figure there's going to be controversy and I just go in and talk about whatever I want. (laughs) I'm not real popular at some parties. (laughs) You know, it says in the Bible, fear not. Not be dismayed. Be strong. And of good courage. In First Timothy, it talks about, uh, is it one seventeen? It says we haven't been given this spirit of fear. Well, the word fear there is, that particular word doesn't show up anywhere else in the Bible. It's only in that one verse. Not given the spirit of fear. And it's not the word phobos, which is normally translated fear in the Greek. I think it's delia. And that word delia is... Uh, a word that has to do with timidity, being a coward. We're not to be cowards. We're not to shrink from controversy. 
we're be willing to face that controversy. And one of the biggest controversies today concerning religion is that people think that religion is a set of beliefs. But religion is not just a set of beliefs. It's not just what you think. It's your outward acts. In practice, it's the performance of that duty to God and your fellow man. And that duty to God and your fellow man is to care for him. Before we look into the answer as to what those duties exactly consist of, we have to realize that there are lots of definitions that have been changing. Not just religion. There are other words that they have been trifling with over the years. And we also have to look at what is the question. And I I really love this question. It was put forth by Cecil B. DeMille's at the beginning of the movie Ten Commandments. And I remember when I first heard it sitting in the Santa Rosa Theater in Texas as a small boy. And uh, he said, are men the property of the state? Or are they free souls under God? The same battle continues throughout the world today. Today in America, today in the world, there is a battle. Are you the property of the state or are you a free soul under God? And the fact is, most of you are the property of the state. And you want to change that, you have to change. Because it's who you are that brought you into this predicament. That's it's who, what you have been, what you have been doing that has brought you into this predicament. This bondage, this entanglement in the elements of the world. When you see that phrase in the Bible, again, entangled in the elements of the world, that's what they're talking about. What are these elements? These are contracts. Modern religions will... (coughs) The modern religionists will cling to their personal delusion that they are saved by what they think. They'll say, because I have faith, I am saved. But what is faith? What is faith? Is faith what you think? Faith is another one of those words that we unfortunately have changed over time. We've changed the meaning. Faith was not merely what you think, but was the compelling conviction of the truth that controlled your actions, which means, of course, your deeds, the fruits of your life. You should not be expected uh, then that faith is not true faith and you are under a strong delusion if the fruits of your life do not coincide with the faith of Christ. If you're not being a servant, if you're not being a doer, if you are hiding your light under a bushel basket, then I would say you do not have faith in Christ. You do not meet the standards of Christ. You are doing contrary to Christ. You can't believe in Him because if you really believed you had faith in Christ, you could not help but be like Christ. And that would be faith. Again, faith is the evidence things not seen. So I don't know whether you really believe in Christ. I can't see that. 
But faith is the evidence of that belief. And faith, your thought, I can't see that either, but faith is the evidence, the substance. It's what you do. It's the fulfillment of that duty to God and your fellow men. When I see you doing that, then I know you have faith. This is what James is saying. By my faith, by fruits you shall know me. By my works you shall know me. Does that mean that by works you are saved? No, by faith you are saved. But if you have real faith, faith is not simply what you think. The evidence of faith is the evidence of the evidence of what you think is the substance of your actions, the works that you do. Will you be able to do enough to save yourself or buy your salvation? No. But if you're not even going in that direction, if you're on that other train that's going the other direction, then your faith is not bona fide. Vida bona fide. That's what you need. You're not of the jurisdiction of Christ if you're not living by faith, hope, and charity and helping others to do the same. You know, if you look up that word faith in the same dictionary 200 years ago, it is defined as probity. Good faith is the very soul of a contract. Faith also signifies the confidence of belief and the full faith and credit ought to be given to the acts of a magistrate. Who is your magistrate? Is it God? Magistrates, remember, were gods. The word God in Old and New Testament is also, and it says this right in the concordance, means magistrates in courts of law. So who is your magistrate? Is it Christ or is it some other man? And if it's some other man, how did that come about? It came about because of your applications, your social compacts, your contracts with men who do not follow the ways of Christ, where you bound yourself again in the elements of the world. Why? To obtain the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. I say it again and again because no one else is saying it. Find other people who will say it, and I will say it less, and rest my voice (laughs) before it's gone. So what is probity? Probity is defined as justice and honesty. So faith is justice and honesty? A man of probity is one who loves justice and honesty, and who dislikes the contrary. By his very nature, if he sees a homeless person being abused, he will stand up and say, why are you giving this old woman a ticket? Why are not you giving her a bed to rest on? Why are not you protecting her while she sleeps in the park? Does she not have a right to rest? This is injustice what you do. It may be legal, but it is injustice. And I despise injustice because I am a man of faith. And people say, oh, I don't want to get involved. Because they are not men of faith. But they can go to their church and their church will tell them that they're saved because they believe in Jesus. What would Jesus do? Once you understand that neither religion 
Your faith is simply what you think. But it is what you do. Then you are going to have to do something different. We will know that you are without faith. If we go to Hebrews 11 and read that first line. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Show me the substance. You think that you don't see. I can't see your faith, but I can see the evidence of your faith. And I can see the lack of evidence of your faith. It is time we repent. It is time we turn around because our definition of faith is more in line with the devil than with Christ. And we'll show you what the devil's definition is when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're going to try to get through the rest of this half hour. Repeating first this idea that faith is not just what you think. It's what you do. Faith is probity. And probity is a love of justice and honor. And that love is translated into your actions. And if there is no actions, there is no fruit. For your actions are the fruit of your faith. So you need to be not timid in your defense of justice and honor. It's that simple. And as I said, there is a devil's definition. I didn't know at one time that there was a devil's dictionary. It came out in 1911, but it's been reprinted in 1990, I think it was. And it says, uh, the definition of faith is belief without evidence in what is held by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. Now, that's what they're telling you, that faith is the substance. In other words, your thinking is the substance of things not seen. Well, faith, your love of justice and honor, of justice and honesty, your probity, your faith, your fidelity to Christ. I can't see it. I can't see it. But the faith is not just your thoughts. Faith is what you do. So I do see it in the substance of what you do. That's why by your fruits you know them. Somehow people have taken Paul and twisted around and say, Oh, just think a thought and you're saved. But Paul is always talking about being a doer. Telling you to have nothing to do with those who do not do righteousness. Who lie and backbite and, and are arguers. And that don't keep the Ten Commandments. It goes through the list. Who are covetous. It says above all else you should have charity. Above all else you should not have anything to do with those that are covetous. Yet socialism is based on covetousness. And it is the socialist who is driving the nations of the world today. Because no one really believes in Christ. Well, there are some. But most of the ones who say, who have taken the name of the Lord, 
and say they believe in God, they take his name in vain. They do not really believe in God. They are doing contrary to the word of God. Faith is the substance of what you do to demonstrate your trust in the honesty and justice of Christ. This is why Christ says you should have left off all this other ritual stuff intended to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You should have left off your big screen TV. You should have left off your sound system and gone out and helped the homeless. You should have sat on wooden pews instead of cushioned seats and taken care of the needy of your society so that they did not have to go to the governments of the Gentiles, the other nations, who exercise authority one over the other, calling themselves benefactors, but taking away from their neighbors so that they can provide them with all the social amenities of a welfare society. You see? You can't be a Christian and a socialist, and you can't send your kids to public school unless you really are a socialist. And I use public school as an example, but there are all kinds of benefits of society that are based on this socialism, of taking from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. How far can we go in the other direction? Of taking care of your neighbor through faith, open charity? There is no end to it. And if you look back at the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has been here all along. It's just that you haven't been a part of it. That's why Jesus could say to the Pharisees, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. He's taking it away from them? They had it? Absolutely. They weren't doing what Moses said, but they had it. Today, faith is defined in your modern dictionaries as, quote, the confidence or trust in a person or a thing. What happened to probity? What happened to justice and honesty? Most of those people that you put your trust in are politicians. Are they honest? Are they just? It says religion, I mean, faith is also defined as belief that is not based on proof. No. Judge me by my fruits. There's the fruits of the of the proof. The fruits of what your faith is producing in your life is the proof. Because see, they turn faith into what you think again about God. You don't know God. How do I know you know God by what you do? Not what you say. That's what Jesus said, not the not what you say, but what you do. Another definition of faith in the modern dictionary. Belief in God or in the doctrines or teachings of religion. In the same dictionary, we go to religion. Religion is what you think about God. But religion in another dictionary is how you perform your duty to your fellow man and to God. You see, when you start changing the definition of words, they can take you anywhere they want. Isn't this what the devil started with in the garden? Is sophistry? Surely you will not die. Surely you are saved. You thought a thought. You believed in Jesus. I don't believe you believe in Jesus unless I see Jesus in your actions and in your deeds. 
Because I don't believe you believe in Jesus unless I see the fruits of Jesus. You see? Because he said to know them by their fruits. I'm not saying anything different than what he said. I'm just saying it different than the way they told you. This is a major shifting of our thinking by simply redefining words and we don't even see it happening. You keep reading the Bible and saying, oh, the Bible interprets itself, except for you're interpreting the words based on dictionaries that have redefined the words in the Bible. But you're right. If you go back to the Bible and you say, wait a minute, religion, pure religion, is how you take care of the needy of your society, you know, widows and orphans, unspotted by the world. Well, they mean unspotted by dirt, can't get any clay or soil on you? No. The word world there is defined as constitutional order and system of government. Once you know which word they're using there, you can figure this out. All I'm doing is for you is the legwork showing you, hey, look, they say it means this. Thou sayest that he is a king. Thou sayest that he took the kingdom away from the Pharisees. Thou sayest he appointed the kingdom to the apostles. Thou sayest. The Bible tells you. It's all in there. People say, oh, well, you're, you're not quoting the Bible enough. There isn't a page on any book I have written, I think, that doesn't have at least one Bible quote. And many of them have either 10 or 20, if not in the page itself, they'll have it in the reference notes. And I'm not retranslating the Bible. I'm only quoting you what the definitions say. Show me where I'm wrong. You see, I've, I've sent these books to theologians. They don't come back with arguments. They won't touch it. Because we did our homework. And we did it with Christ next to us. In other words, the Holy Spirit showed me what... He says, look here. Look here. See this word. See that word. And it's not enough that I tell you those words. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit to tell you what to check. I have had people find me make errors. Oh, yeah. But not in principle. The first absolute duty of an individual toward others is to do no injury to no, to do injury to no man. And where this might have happened to make good the damage. Now, I'm actually going to start telling you what that duty is to your fellow man. And believe it or not, that do no harm, isn't that the duty that God has given us? You know, don't kill, don't murder, don't bear false witness. Don't even covet. Now you're coveting your neighbor's goods, the act of coveting, and not do them any harm. But if you create an institution through making covenants with men who exercise authority one over the other to obtain the benefits of your neighbor. That is harm. If you take away the wealth and labor and sweat and toil and blood of your neighbor so that you can have your benefits, is that not harm? That's your first and absolute duty to the individual toward others is to do Injury to no man. To take from that man is an injury. All legal systems are performed, created with, in the jurisdiction of natural law. 
That's why we see in the beginning, you know, the law of nature, nature's God, natural law. Natural law is composed of moral obligation called duty and a moral power called right. You cannot separate the right from the duty without doing an injustice to the law. In other words, if you want your rights back, you must take your responsibility to do your duty back. Now, the first quote of the first and absolute duty of an individual, that is from somebody named Pufendorf. And Pufendorf uh, wrote on the duty of man and citizen. And, it, and I'm just... Check, taking that out of the introduction, you'll find it in the rest of the uh, book. But Pufendorf, been around for a long time, wrote about the law. And he's quoted, I've seen Chuck Baldwin quote him in his book. Uh, he's well quoted in the law because he understood how these laws came together. But he was a great transitioner between totally natural law and the lex fundamentalis. Lex is legal systems. Both the word jus juris and the word lex are translated into law. And we have a law versus legal in the covenants of the gods that will help explain that. But a legal system is created by contract, by agreement. In order to do that, you have to have a fundamental law pre-existing to know what is counted as a contract. We're not talking common law, we're talking natural law. And so natural law will not only include the, you know, bona fide written out uh, contract with witnesses and full disclosure, but it will also conclude and allow for the construction of contract, assumed contracts, based on actions. So knowing that your legal system is a creation of man through the natural law established long before man, Natural law is sometimes referred to as divine law or right reason. The lex fundamentalis of natural law is the duty of every man so far as in his him lies to strive that welfare human society in general be secured and maintained. We have a duty to our human society for its general welfare that its general security is maintained not as specific now that how we do that is the choice of the individual if we give the power to make that choice to another individual we are no longer free under the natural law so how do we do that lex fundamentalis in other words, if we make agreements, if we sell our right to choose in exchange for benefits, then somebody else can choose for us. We have less liberty, but we have more benefits, more entitlements. But if that system becomes bankrupt, we get nothing. We're betting on an individual, which is why the definition of faith was probity. A sense of justice and honesty. 
Faith meant something different than what we read today as a confidence or trust in a person or a thing. Well, see, now your faith is not in the natural justice and honesty established by God. Your faith is now in an individual person who's going to tell you what's just. He's going to decide for you what is good and evil. You no longer have that right because you gave him the right to decide for you in order to obtain benefits from him. And once you start obtaining those benefits, you are now subject because you now have debt. You have mutually gathered together, contracted yourselves together to take away from your neighbor, to rule over your neighbor, to become the kings of this world, to become the Canaanites, trafficker in human souls. That's what a Canaanite was. He actually wanted to own people. As you are owned today. As you are subjects today. You are not free people. No democracy is free. It is mob rule. No indirect democracy is free. It is ruled by the elect. In a republic, in a pure republic, the leaders are titular. They don't rule. If they say we're going to war... They can't draft you. They have no power to draft you in a pure republic. They can say we're going to war meet at this time and you can show up or not show up. You can say we need funds to support the war and they can buy bonds or not buy bonds. That's how a true republic works. You don't have that anywhere in the world today. The kingdom of God is your last vestige of hope. And you can't just jump there because you have all these other ropes and and strings and hooks tying you to these other systems based on force and fear and violence. Not based on charity and love for one another. Not based on your love of law, justice, mercy, and faith. But based on fear and control. Manipulation. And unless you go toward, see, this is the choice. Christ laid it out. Turn around. Repent. Start seeking that other way. How can you do that unless you gather together? How can you do that unless you do it with another? How can you practice forgiveness so that you may be forgiven unless you do it with another? If you want to get on board with Christ, get on board with each other. If you want to get on board with righteousness, gather together and seek it. The righteousness of God. By seeking to become the government of God, the alternative to all the other governments of the world. I'm not saying that you can disobey the other governments and neither did Christ. If you are in the system and you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. But know this, Caesar will fail. And when the unrighteous mammon faileth, you will be suitable for more righteous habitations. But start seeking them today. Start gathering together in real churches. In real way. Not church buildings. But congregations of people seeking to be the social welfare system of their society through faith, hope, and charity alone. This is the gospel 
It's not what you think. It's what you do. Can you do enough? No. It will take a miracle. It will take a miracle. You cannot do enough. But if you haven't turned around, you're not even going to see that. You have to turn around. The prodigal son has to head back home. And one of the ways to do that is to gather together and start to practice charity with just about anybody. Start learning what it means to practice a charity that strengthens the poor. Start gathering together as groups and teams and families of families that will start taking care of the homeless and the needy. And like I say, there's a million other avenues we can go down. Your your diets are poisoning each other. The food that's being produced by this spirit of the world, where they are interested in their own profit more than in your health, is producing food that is poisoning you and your children and your children's children. Gather together and find out what you can do about that. They're poisoning the very environment in which you live. And I'm not talking about the pollution. Most of the pollution that is going on today is sponsored by the governments of the world. I shouldn't even say that. That's a little too extreme. You know, about 80% of the food that is marketed in America cannot be marketed in European countries. It's been outlawed. They're outlawing GMOs everywhere. But in America, they're becoming more and more prominent. And they are destroying your food supply. And now with the new GMO alfalfa, you have no idea. You say, well, I never eat alfalfa. Alfalfa is one of the main food sources in your diet, even if you're a vegetarian. I tell you, if there is no alfalfa, if your alfalfa crop is devastated, you will starve. They've already destroyed your corn. Almost everywhere your corn is GMO. Your soybeans are GMO. And this is having a tremendous health effect throughout the country, throughout the world. That's why other countries have outlawed it. But America are most asleep. We have the greatest people in the world here in America, but we have the most zombies too. And it's going to be terrible. But not for those who repent. For those who turn around. Those who seek the righteousness of Christ. There will be a miracle. There will have to be a miracle. Because we have gone so far away from the kingdom. In every aspect of our life. We have much to be repentant of. Much to turn around. And seek to do differently. So, I want to encourage every one of you. To join us on thelivingnetwork.org or go to hisholychurch.org and join the Living Network there. We have connections at preparingyou.com. Some of those uh, sites may redirect you to preparingyou.com. Find the group in your local area. Join it. Say, I want to get together with others. You will still be spread out because we're in all these different countries. We have a few here, a few there. But the people are out there. And one of the ways to find those other people is to start charitable works by going to places that are already doing the work. And with a discerning spirit, seek out those who are not far from the kingdom. Who are starting to do the ways of the kingdom. And together, iron sharpens iron. 
together you will begin to form the brotherhoods that are natural in the kingdom of heaven. Because we are bound together not by contract, but by that covenant with our king, who said to love one another as he has loved us. And so we must turn that love to action so that there is substance in our faith. So that just as he says, if you will not forgive, neither will he forgive you. If you will not give, you will not be given unto. It is built in to his law. Cannot change it. You will not be able to give enough. But that is not the point. The point is you must turn around and start to move in that direction. Giving one to another. And I don't care how small it is. Start doing it. Start doing it religiously. Start doing it regularly. You don't you don't have your heart beat a million times on the weekend and then not beat again till the next weekend. It beats every day. And so must it be with your charity. So until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.